electronic device with your Bible that's holded up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand powerful Word of God. I can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm glad that water is gone. It's so amazing to me, human nature. At any given time, we would be whining already about the heat and the dryness. When is God going to send rain to our parched land? So a three-year drought was erased in less than a month. I mean, that's the way God does things. Less than a month, lakes that were almost completely dry are filled to overflowing. And now what are we doing? When's it going to stop raining? Sure would like it to get hot. So, when hell turns on in a few weeks, you folks that wanted it, shut up. Just teasing. Just teasing. It is amazing how quickly, though, God can restore, isn't it? That's what I, I've just been, you know, I know there's a lot, some tragedy that has come with these floods. I, I understand that. But isn't it absolutely amazing how lakes that were nearly dried up are now full in less than a month? That's just amazing to me. But that's God. God can do far abundantly more than we could ever hope or ask. Isn't that what we're t- promised? So see, in your own life, He can do so much more if you'll just let Him. If you'll just let Him. One Sunday, a man sat through a church service and then he went on the way home. He fussed about the sermon, griped about the traffic, complained about the heat or the rain, <laughs> made a big fuss about how late the lunch meal was served. Then he bowed and prayed, giving God thanks for the food. And his son was watching him all this time. And he said, Dad, Did God hear you when you left the church and you started fussing about the sermon and about the traffic and about the heat? Well, the dad blushed and he said, well, yes, son, he heard me. Well, dad, did God hear you when you just prayed for this food right now? He said, well, yes, yes, son, he, he, he heard me. Well, dad, which one did God believe? Which one did God believe? See, that little story showcases a problem that afflicts far too many church people. Too often, what we claim to be and what we really are are miles apart. The Bible calls that hypocrisy. That's one of those powerful words. Hypocrisy. It's an ancient word, come from the Greek language was used to describe actors in a play. Ancient actors would hold different masks in their hand, and whatever role they were portraying, they would put the mask up. If they were sad, it was a sad face. If they were happy, it was a happy face. But it masked what the real person might be expressing, what they really were. The actors were called the hypocritos, Defined one who wears a mask. 
We use that word today to refer to people who pretend to be one thing and then they actually are something else. They pretend to be your friend while stabbing you in the back. You ever had that happen to you? Somebody that, oh man, there's your greatest of pals and buddies and friends and whew, and then whatever happens for whatever reason, they're the ones who turn on you. People who live one way at church and another way at home, they're hypocrites. People who attempt to do wicked things under the radar while acting like all is well, they're hypocrites. There should be no people like that in the church. (laughs) But sadly there are. And why is that? Because the church is made up of people. People. Now, are we perfect? Well, I know some of you are. I understand. But then there's the rest of us. I like to think of it as that we're just a group of people saved by the grace of God just doing life together. We're imperfect. Oh man, we're imperfect. Say things the wrong way, say them at the wrong time. Open mouth, insert foot, feet, feet, legs, arms, everything. We don't engage our brain before we put our mouth in gear. Those are all phrases I've used that fit me real well. Some people claim there are too many hypocrites in the church. You ever heard that one? Here's a couple of things you can fire back. Hey, come on. One more won't make a difference. Or how about this one? It's better to spend a few hours with them in church than to spend an eternity with them in hell. Well, that's going to preach in there. This one I really like. If a hypocrite's standing between you and God, then the hypocrite's closer to God than you are. Ooh, that's pretty good, eh? (laughs) Hypocrites are nothing new. Jesus, in our text today, has encountered a whole group of hypocrites. The dialogue started last week, but it's continuing on in Mark chapter 7. And in verse 1, they've come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like the Vatican City of our day. They came to watch Him in order to find fault with Him and His ministry. And when they arrive and begin to watch Jesus, it doesn't take them long to find something to complain about. These men see the disciples of Jesus eating food without washing their hands. And they are highly offended. Hmm. Highly offended. So they attack Jesus about it, but He turns the tables on them. They think the issue is one of clean hands, but Jesus shows them that the issue is really about their clean or unclean heart. And this text today has something to say to us from Mark chapter 7. We still have those people who are more concerned about clean hands than they are about clean hearts. Jesus is going to teach us that the inside of a person should match the outside of the person. Are you with me on that? The inside of a person should match the outside of the person. 
He's going to teach us that our heart is what is really important. He's going to teach us that hypocrisy and legalism have no place in the life of a Christian. He's going to teach us that true defilement comes from the inside, not from the outside. Clean hands or a clean heart is what we're going to look at today. So let's jump in. Verses 1 through 5 of Mark chapter 7. Jesus confronts the problem. If you have your Bibles open, let's follow along together. I'm going to be in the New American Standard Version. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. You might want to underline that. Unwashed, that is, for the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Scribes, Pharisees, they were watching Jesus and the men around Jesus, and they noticed that these disciples didn't wash their hands, and so they found fault. And the idea of fault here, that word fault, means to place blame. To place blame. And so they were going to blame Jesus because Jesus was the leader of these disciples, and so He in turn then should be their leader and also show them the proper way to behave, in public especially. The problem is brought to light in verses 3 and 4 when the Pharisees and all the religious Jews, they wouldn't eat unless they washed their hands in a certain way, especially if they returned from the marketplace, because they might have brushed shoulders with a Gentile and been defiled. Like today, if you go to the restaurant, you better make sure that you've You've gotten there before the Baptist because you can't eat after them because you might sit in a chair that they sit in. And I mean, we laugh and snicker, but isn't that how we are? <laughs> oh yeah, we are. Now we don't say Baptist. We we do something. I just thought I'd bring those up. Methodists maybe. Yeah, Methodists. They're not right with God. They can't be right. In fact, I want you to rejoice. Dave Cargis, the pastor at First Methodist here in Jinx, this is his retirement Sunday, his last sermon he preaches today. And he's retiring. Isn't that great? And he said, man, it's so great, Harold, because I'm going to own my own house finally. All the years he's been in ministry, he's always lived in church-provided housing. And so he's very excited about having their own house. And uh, I said, hey, you can do whatever you want to to that house. He said, I'm already starting. <laughs> That's exciting. But uh, pray for he and Janelle, and what a, what a life transition. 40-plus uh, years in ministry, preaching ministry, and uh, I will miss Dave. He's, he's been a great friend, great friend, and he loves our church. He, uh, he comments often about our church, and uh, I appreciate him, him doing that. This washing of hands, it, it became a ritual. Jews and all religious people everywhere, everything revolved around rituals for them. It's all about the ritual. It was about the ritual. 
This washing of hands had nothing to do with cleaning hands. John MacArthur described it this way. This washing had nothing to do with the cleaning dirty hands, but with a ceremonial rinsing. The ceremony involves someone pouring water out of a jar onto another's hands whose fingers must be pointing up. And then as long as the water dripped off the wrist, the person could proceed on to the next step, and that was to have the water poured over both hands with their fingers pointing down. Then each hand was to be rubbed with the fist of the other hand. Not your fingers, your fist. Because we can't defile the fingers, they were just cleansed with the dripping of the water. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've been hungry, I didn't care if my hands were clean. I wanted to eat. Any of you with me on that? No? Okay. I knew Brother Kim would have to be with me over there. I mean, because if you're hungry, let's eat. I'll wash my hands later on. Get a little fiber in my diet with this thing, you know. Now, when my dad would have me, have me work with him on the car, and I'd come in with grease all over my hands, now that's a whole new story. Got to try to get that off. Lava soap. Any of you remember that one? Whew. Gosh, that was ugly stuff. But it sure, made, sure got, got grease and stuff off your hands. Plus your skin and everything else went with it. But Man, can you imagine? Before you could eat, you had to go through this little ceremony all the time. And water was rationed back then, by the way. If they used too much, it was allocated, they're done. They don't have any any, for anything else. It's really sad. The Jews had a compilation of these oral laws that uh, they uh, made around 200 A.D. And there were 35 pages of instructions devoted just to washing alone. I don't know about you, but that's nuts. That's nuts. I've met some people that could use some washing. Don't get me wrong. I've met some people that need to go through this washing of sins behind me. I've met some of them too. But the problem with rules is that they were not from God. They were the traditions of the elders. And the traditions of the elders came into being with good intentions The Mishnah says that the tradition is a fence around the law. In other words, it's an effort to protect the law from people. And the ancient Jews added to that law, added restrictions that went beyond the letter of the law. The Jewish leaders believed that their traditions helped people keep the law better. And they believed their traditions protected the law from the people. Other, or one writer shares the following, he says, about fences. For example, looking in the mirror was forbidden because if you looked into the mirror on the Sabbath day and you saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out and thus you'd be performing a work on the Sabbath. You also could not wear any false teeth because if they fell out and you decided to pick them up, it would be carrying a burden. You could not carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath, but you could wear a handkerchief. That meant if you were upstairs and wanted to take the handkerchief downstairs, you would have to tie it around your neck, walk downstairs, untie it, then blow your nose downstairs. And if you were going to go back upstairs and you had to tie it on your neck again with the snot and everything, then you could take it upstairs and take it off. Can you see how silly this is? Oh, this one's, I love this one. The rabbis debated about a man with a wooden leg. 
If his home caught on fire, could he carry his wooden leg out of the house on the Sabbath? Now, one could spit on the Sabbath, but you had to be careful where. Because <laughs> if it landed on the dirt and you scuffed it with your sandal, you'd be cultivating the soil, thus performing work on the Sabbath. Aren't you, don't you miss being under that yoke of slavery? That's why Paul described it in Galatians as a yoke of slavery. Because it is. You can't breathe without, well, that's, that's sounding more like America today, isn't it? You can't do anything without some regulation about how you can do it and why you can do it and you shouldn't do it. Silly, isn't it? But we have Pharisees today. There's plenty of people who would try to force you to live by their rules. They want to tell you how you can dress, where you can go, or what you can do. You can't wear a tie, you know, you can't wear a chain around your tie, a tie chain because it's too worldly. You can't wear open-toed shoes because the world sees that different. You can't go to the beach because it's worldly. Your hair is too long, your hair is too short, you can't eat here. Rules are silly rules. But the problem with man's rules is just that. They're man's rules and not the Lord's rules. I've got four scriptures up there referenced for you in your outline. 1 Corinthians 6.12, which is our memory verse. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any of them. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says basically the same thing, but it ends with, but all things edify not. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. 1 Corinthians 8.13, wherefore if meat makes my brother offend, to offend, I will not eat flesh while the word stands, lest I make my brother to offend. In other words, a weaker brother fall. See, I'm free to eat that meat, but if I know it's going to bother him, I'll just choose not to eat it because I show deference to him because he's a younger, weaker brother. Or sister. I may think dancing is okay, but if you don't, then I'll just not do it just because. Because I love you more. Well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I've got freedom to do whatever. Hey, you sure can. Go ahead and knock yourself out. You can jump on an American flag and stomp on it all you want to. But if somebody knocks you upside the head because you did, they have a right to do that too. Unless he did it in the name of Jesus, then you don't have that right. Better stop it. Can do that. Lieutenant Colonel was court-martialed for keeping a verse of Scripture on her computer. She had a handwritten verse of Scripture placed to her computer, and her she was court-martialed over it. That was what they court-martialed her for. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? <laughs> oh, folks. Remember the video I showed you last week? They're here. It's coming. You know, when Jesus said, Blessed are you if they persecute you for my name's sake. They're coming. They're here. And they're breeding. <laughs> but so are we, aren't we? Amen? Oh, Jesus then condemns the problem in verses 6 through 14. Let's read what it says. He said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. 
But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God, and you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts in setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, verse 10, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whoever, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all you, and understand. See, these men were upset with Jesus. His disciples didn't perform the ritual washings of the Jews. And so Jesus then reveals the hypocrisy in their hearts in verses 6 through 9 when he condemns legalism. He accuses these men of being hypocrites. He quotes Isaiah 29:13. Wait a minute, Jesus quoted scripture? Yes, Old Testament? Yeah, that's all they had written down. He quoted it. So why do we have the children up here singing a verse of scripture? So they won't forget it. And these children, most of them, the new faces that are up here, that are coming here, are coming from homes that may have parents or not. One doesn't come anymore because his mother got out of jail and they moved. That's the type of children we're picking up and bringing here to teach them about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome what God has chosen to gift us with? These are gifts. These are gifts that God is sending to us. And oh man, some of them are alive. One kid, he was upset this morning, he couldn't get two donuts. And the donut was bigger than he was. <laughs> so we pulled out some chips, man. He lit into those chips. Amen. He was eating a bag and everything. It was amazing. Jesus quotes scripture. Verse 8. He even tells them that they have laid aside the commandments of God for man-made rules and traditions. Verse 9, he tells them they've actually rejected the commandments of God so that they can keep their traditions. Sometimes tradition trumps Scripture. It should never be that way. Well, old brother so-and-so said, old sister so-and-so said, who cares about brother, sister so-and-so? We care about what Jesus said. Amen? We should. I'm glad brother, sister, and brother so-and-so said whatever they're going to say. But their word does not supersede God's word. And some of the stuff that we get so fired up and upset about has nothing to do with the Bible. It has everything to do with your tradition or your feelings. <laughs> the crowd is still with us today. Those legalists. They think their little petty rules are more important than anything else. If people walk like they think a person should walk, then that person's okay. If they wear their hair the right way, they're okay. If they wear the right kind of clothes, they're okay. If they stay away from the right places, they're okay. If they give a certain amount of money, they're okay. Otherwise, they're condemned. I had a guy that told me one day, he told me straight to my face, he said, if you don't believe that Jesus is coming based on the premillennial view of Scripture, you're going to hell. I looked at him and I said, well, I am pro. Well, that threw him. Because he's never heard of pro. He said, what, what, kind, what, what kind of view is that? I said, I'm all for it, brother. He's coming back. If you want to pinpoint and tell a guy he's going to hell because he doesn't believe the same viewpoints you believe on the millennial return of Jesus, get over yourself. Now, I was a young preacher then, man. I scared to death that guy told me that. 
I'd love to run into him again. I probably will in heaven. And he'll be surprised to see me because I didn't believe in the premillennial view. Legalism. It also exposes liberties that they will make with the law. He talks about that in verses 10 through 13. He blows, Jesus blows the lid off of one of the traditions. He talks in your, those of you that are in your retirement years, can I see those hands? Oh, you're going to love this particular section. Because <laughs> when he says he practice, he says, you practice the, the, uh, 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 thing of Corban. A gift offered to God. And the idea here is that, and he, and he quotes the scripture, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you, and that he curses his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. Well, it's the idea of honoring your mother, your mother and father, your parents, includes the necessity of providing for their needs as long as they are alive. Now you can ask Vanessa, she runs a university village, that's a retirement center, and she can tell you how many families who live in Tulsa put their parents in those places and never come see them. Ever. But Jesus is addressing this. He says, if they said they have money or possessions, it was Corban. So in other words, they tell their parents, hey, you know, I know you're getting old and I know that you need some help financially, but we've given all that we have to the Lord. And so it's a gift to God. And so we don't have anything left to help you. Got it? See what they're doing? Jesus attacks their very hypocrisy. It's the same attitude that exists today. I just had mentioned it to you. Another problem that he addresses are the rule makers. These are, and these are very mean-spirited people who make rules, aren't they? Well, I'm telling you right now. And they, they don't even open their mouth. It's just their teeth are clenched and their lips move. I'm going to tell you right now. When they breathe funny. Well, you didn't set the chairs back the way they're supposed to be. Whoever did this, oh man, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Stop it, stop it. We're going to have altar call soon, you can come. Oh, we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. It's been great to be a grandparent, because what used to really fire me up as a parent... Kelsey, when she was a lot younger, she, she came to me. It was a Saturday night. It was about 10 o'clock. And she was trying to play a game that needed batteries, and the batteries ran out. And she says, Grandpa, I need batteries. I looked at Cindy. I got up and said, what size I need? She told me. I said, okay. I left, and Jeff looked at his mother and said, he would have never done that for me. <laughs> and she said, that's right. But I should have. It's something about being a grandparent. I just see it different. Stuff that gets you all fired up when you're, when you're a parent, eh, not so much when you got grandkids around. I don't know what it is. But I love it. I love it. 
Because we don't have to get so fired up about stuff. But you know the rule makers cross every T, dot every I, pass judgment on those who don't do what you do and think the, what you sh- and think the way you think. That's why it's often, you often find more compassion and sympathy and acceptance at the local pool hall or bar than sometimes you do at the church of Jesus Christ. Man, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Takes us to the last point. And Jesus clarifies the problem, verses 14 through 23. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you. Understand, there's nothing outside the, outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he declares all food is clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that which defiles the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So in verses 14 through 16, he tells the crowd a big long list of things. And he says what comes into the body, like eating with unwashed hands, that's not as important as what comes out of the body, because what is going to come in is going to come out. Now he's given an anatomical description. If you eat it, it's going to come out in one go in one end and come out the other. That's the way it works. And when you're a baby, you eat, sleep, poop, and somebody else takes care of it all. Great life if you can get it. Amen. Cindy told me at 25. I'm sorry, I'm not going that route with you. I was disappointed. Disciples are confused in verse 17. Gives them this quick lesson in 18 and 19. Verse 20 reveals that the spiritual defilement is always the result of a defiled heart. Keeping external rules will not change the heart. Jesus can only change the heart. Well, I've got a, I've got a temper problem. Then you haven't let Jesus control your heart. Well, I don't tithe. Then Jesus doesn't control your heart. Well, I don't, I, well, I have a problem with cussing some, you know. Jesus doesn't have your heart! Because if He has your heart, you will stop what it is that causes the sin in your life. I'll wait. I'll stop. Come on! Give me a witness here! Somebody say amen! <laughs> oh, what are you, what's going on, man? I've been asleep. He raised his voice. What did he say? Watch out. I might have to get up. If I get up, then everybody's in trouble. Let's go over that list real quick that he rattled off there at the end. Evil thoughts. This is the root of all that follows. When, when an evil heart conjures up evil intentions, the evil person carries them out. Adulteries. That's illicit sexual activity by married people. Fornications. You see, these are words we don't use nowadays. Fornications. You know, when's the last time you, 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 somebody's sleeping around? Why don't you go up and say, hey, you're an adulterer? <laughs> Or they're not even married and they're sleeping around. I want you to go, hey, you fornicator! Man, that's a big young... Well, you're casting judgment on me. No, not really. Fornication, fornications. That word, is, that word translated in the Greek is pornea. Pornography is the word we get from it. 
Murders. That's the taking of another's life. Thefts. Taking that which doesn't belong to you. Deeds of coveting. An insatiable craving for that which belongs to another person. Wickedness means malice. It refers to all the ways that evil thought manifests themselves in a person's life. It describes deliberate acts of meanness. Deceit. It refers to cunning maneuvers designed to ensnare someone for one's personal advantage. Sneaky people, deceptive people fall into that category. I think you have to be very careful about practical jokes because they can be misunderstood. Sensuality, that word refers to unrestrained, shameless behavior. Some say, I will do as I please, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. By God, I do what I want to do. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. ain't hurting nobody. Wrong. Every action has a consequence. Envy. Slander. Injurious, defaming speech. Pride. Look at me. See what I have done. No one's as good and great as I am. I'm the greatest that's ever been. Muhammad Ali was the king of pride, wasn't he? See, I'm a pretty face, pretty face. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. He was the first one, if I remember right, that dropped his hands to box. Is that right? Coach, just help me. He, he, he was the first one. He rope-a-dope. He'd dance around, he'd dance around. All of a sudden, you'd come walking in like this, and you, he'd see something drop. Man, that thing, whack! He had the fastest hands, knock you flat out. He was, he was the first one that did that. But you see, he backed up everything he said. And when he couldn't win anymore, he quit. He did a smart thing. Don't get killed while you're in there trying to prove you something you're not. But he was one of the best. I think his nickname was the greatest. The greatest. All you say is that phrase, people say Muhammad Ali. Foolishness. First of those who are morally and spiritually desensitized. We live in a foolish world. Oh, so much I could say. I gotta keep, I gotta get, I gotta get done. There's a grouchy old deacon in church teaching a boy's Sunday school class. He wanted to help them understand what a Christian was, so he asked them this question. Why do people call me a Christian? There was a moment of silence. And one of the boys said, Well, maybe it's because they don't know you. (laughs) Jesus always told it like it was. He told the Pharisees and the scribes exactly what they were. He told his disciples exactly what resided within the hearts of men. And right in the middle of our text, verse 16, he says this, If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. So what has the Lord spoken into your heart today? The problem with mankind is a problem of the heart, according to Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Are you a hypocrite? Do you hide behind a mask, pretending to be one thing when in reality you're another? 
Well, let me tell you something. You're not hiding it very well. Are you a legalist? Do you expect everyone to live just like you do? You stand in judgment over them? Do you have a defiled heart? Have you truly been born again? If any man has ears to hear, let him hear what the Lord is saying. Why don't you look in your heart? Look in your heart. What do you find there? You find anger, lust, divisiveness, unforgiveness, pride, hatred? Or do you find love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control? Because what dwells in your heart is what really comes out of our life. I hope that you'll let Jesus, His voice, speak into your life right now. Father, I ask you this morning to just touch each person here. Give them an extra measure of courage to accept where they are, to make the changes they desperately need to make. And then, Father, to respond to you in a way that will be very helpful, very pleasing to you. So, Lord, as we sing this invitation, if there's somebody here that needs to respond, would they in Jesus' name? Amen. Let's stand and sing a great song.